Good afternoon, everyone. Trust you all well? Okay. Last week, uh, I shared with you about the Canadian coat of arm and what it represents and how we have embedded into our charter of rights and freedoms this emblem and what this emblem has on it as far as the, the text that's on it is actually the two sections in the middle there in the red and then the bottom and the, uh, the ribbon and the blue. They're actually scriptures. One, and they're both Latin versions of the scriptures. They're both from our Bible. One is from the New Testament in the red that says that they desired a better country. Talking about the saints of old and how they had trusted God and came out from their homeland looking for something that God had promised them that was better than where they were. And the bottom part of that is from Psalm 72, which talks about he, Jesus, the Lord, the King, he will have dominion from sea to sea. So the nation of Canada was established with that understanding that Christ, the Lord, would have dominion over this land from sea to sea. We were people that were, we were started, Canada was started by people that came from Europe. They encountered the natives that were here, the First Nations and the Inuit and the later on the Métis that were mixed in with regards to the, the, the bloodlines of the French and the, uh, the First Nations. And together they established a nation calling it the Dominion of Canada. We talked about how that's actually embedded in our charter of rights and freedoms. And within that charter, the first sentence, the first sentence that was uh, established when this charter was put into place, whereas Canada, this is right at the very beginning, right? Like at the, I guess you can call this the preamble, the first sentence of the charter, whereas Canada was is founded upon principles that recognize the supremacy of God. That's right in there in our charter. You don't have a right in Canada unless you have it because first this nation recognized the supremacy of God and the rule of law. That's what gives us rights as citizens, as people that live here. That's why we defend human rights. That's why we stand for the openness that we stand for. That's why we have attracted so many people as a nation. That's why... You and I have come here, or our parents have come here, because they were hoping, they were desiring, looking for a better country where the rights of individuals are protected. Many of us have come from nations where our faith, our religions, our Christianity, or even our rights as humans were very much oppressed. Some of you have suffered because you had different ideas than the regime at, at the time that you were there. Some of you have been tortured, put into jails. I know your personal stories. Not all of you, but there's been some that have opposed the government of the day, and they've been hurt by it. And that guarantees us rights. I want us to, to shift a little bit, and I wanted to talk about another very close nation of ours, a neighbor, the United States of America, and the similarities between what I just showed you here in our charter. Now, by the way, every charter, every right comes with a responsibility. You don't just have rights and you're free to do what you want. You have rights because the rights that you have put you in a boundary situation with others' rights 
And there's a balance. There's a balance between my right to say what I want to say and your right to hear truth. There's a right for me to do what I want to do in my property and how it affects your property, etc. So it's a balancing of these rights that are court systems, and that's why we have the rule of law stated in there. So our rights as individuals don't impose on one another. Okay? So the United States of America, this is an old document. This is a document that was actually from the year 1863. Not young, right? But what's this document about? Well, by the President of the United States of America, a proclamation for a day of national humiliation. We call it humbleness now or humility. Not humiliation as in someone like humiliating you, but it's a day where you lower yourself, right? For fasting and prayer. Whereas the Senate of the United States, devotedly, devoutly recognizing the supreme authority and just government of Almighty God. Do you see similarity? The President of the United States is making a declaration that recognizes the place that God holds in society. That's big, right? In all, the, in all the affairs of men and of nations. So it's a recognition of a personal God who is connected and relatable and functioning within relationship with individuals, you and me, and within the sphere of nations. Sometimes we make it so personal that the relationship we, got, we have with God only ends, begins and ends with me. But God is much bigger than just you and me. He's the God of nations. He's the God of the universe. He's the God of all creation. He's the God that puts boundaries to nations and gives them times and seasons that they would seek him, Paul said in Acts 17. He's the one that determines where nations are. By a resolution, requested the president to designate and set apart a day for national prayer and humiliation. And whereas it is the duty of nations... Nations have duties. They have rights. They have responsibilities and freedoms. As individuals do, we have duties. To, de- uh, to excuse me, as well as all, as, excuse me, where am I? And whereas it is the duty of nations, as well as of men, men and women, of course, to own their, in de- their dependence upon the overriding power of God, to confess their sins and transgressions, in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scripture and proven by all history. He's making reference here not only to the Word of God, but to people's experience of the Word of God in history. So when we teach here, every time we stand up here, myself or whoever, and Rob, whoever, and we preach, we're not simply pointing you to the scripture for you to know the scripture, because you can get that in Bible studies. But we're wanting you to enter into an encounter with the living God, that you would have an experience that you can mark in your history, that you can point back to and say, yes, God is faithful because I've experienced his faithfulness. Yes, God is a giving God because I have experienced his giving and his love. God is the provider because I've experienced his provision in my life. God is the healer because I've been healed by him. 
This is the whole point of what we're doing. We want us to come as individuals and as a community to enter into an experiential relationship with God in the same way that those of you who are married are not just simply aware of the existence of your spouse and know details about your spouse, but you've actually entered into an experiential relationship with your spouse. Can you imagine anything else in that kind of a relationship as husband and wife? Where you simply know about the person? Like a pen pal? No, it doesn't exist that way. Relationships are all about the encounters. Relationships about sitting down together, about getting to know one another's hearts, getting to know one another's minds. So the president here is making reference to the fact that this understanding of God through Scripture has been proven in all history that those nations are only are blessed whose God is the Lord. Why is he saying it that way? Why doesn't he just use a name? Whose God is Jesus, maybe? Yahweh? Jehovah? Allah? A name. Why is he not using a name? But he is. This is actually a scripture. Blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord. It's one of the Psalms. And the word the Lord is actually his name. It's not just a descriptor, but it's actually his name. And in so much as we know that by his divine law, nations like individuals, notice he's going from the the national to the personal, national, personal. He understands God and has experienced him are subjected to punishments and chastisements in this world, not because God punishes, but because all of a sudden we put ourselves into situations where the situations now begin to discipline us. The situations, like if we sin, there's a consequence to sin. If I go out sleeping around, I may catch a disease, I may get someone pregnant, there's a consequence to my actions, if nothing else, to my soul. There's a consequence to our behavior. And there's chastisements in this world, may we not justly fear that the awful calamity of civil war, this is right after the civil war that took place in the U.S. in the 1800s, which now, this, what is it? Desolates the land may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuousness, presumptuous sin to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. We have been recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have, many of you today as we were worshiping, I heard Dawson thank God for Canada. Thank God for, and bless Canada for the provision. Rob made reference to it that we have come to this nation and we have been blessed here. It's, it's a great nation to be a part of. It's a great nation to be a part of in the U.S. There's amazing things that are going on, freedoms that you won't find anywhere else. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. A lot of us do this. In our time of greatest need, 
We come running to God in prayer, in desperation, asking for a miracle, asking for a healing, asking for the salvation of someone, the healing of someone, our children, our parents, whatever. But when everything is cool, we become the masters of our own domain and we take over and we, can, you know, we become who, you know, I can control my destiny. I don't need God telling me what to do. I don't need him to interfere in my life, to give me, you know, boundaries. I can live how I want. I'm an individual. I'm an adult. I can think for myself. I can make my own decisions. I can determine whether there is a creator or this is all evolution. I can determine all of these things. But when I'm in the trenches, under heavy attack, I run to God. You know, there's an old saying that there's no atheists in the trenches. When you're under fire and the bullets are flying overhead, everyone believes in God. Everyone prays. Why? Because there's something innate in us. We've been created for relationship and intimacy with Him. That moment of stress brings that out because the cloud of everything else disappears. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power to confess our national sins and to pray for uh, clemency and forgiveness. Now, therefore, in compliance with the request and fully concurring in the, in the views of the Senate, with, in the views of the Senate, I do by this my proclamation designate and set apart Thursday, the 30th day of April, 1863, as a day of national humiliation, fasting and prayer. And I do hereby request all the people to abstain on that day from their ordinary secular pursuits and to unite at their several places of public worship and their respective homes in keeping the day holy to the Lord and devoted to the humble discharge of religious duties proper to that solemn occasion. All this being done in sincerity and truth, let us then rest humbly in the hope authorized by the divine teachings that the united cry of the nation will be heard on high and answered with blessings, no less than the pardon of our national sins and restoration of our now divided and suffering country to its former happy condition of unity and peace. In witness hereof, I have hereto set my hand and caused the seal of the United States to be affixed, done at the city of Washington this 13th, the 30th day of March in the year of our Lord, one thousand. 863, and of the independence of our United States, the 87th, Abraham Lincoln. And he posted that. March 30th, 1863. This last week, I think it was Tuesday, those of you that tuned in to one of the American channels, would have watched the President of the United States give his, I was going to say speech from the throne, but his uh, State of the Union address at the House of Representatives. Was it at the House or the Congress? I forget now. It was at Congress. But behind him was seated the Prime, at the, time, the Vice President. You can tell I'm thinking Canadian. You can, you can see the Vice President, Pence, and the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. I was blown away. At a, I watched the whole thing. The first time I actually watched the whole thing. I felt I needed to watch it. 
And there was a moment in there that caught my attention. Not the moment at the end where she rips up the, the speech text, the transcript. You probably all saw memes and tweets about that. That was disgraceful. Irrespective of your political views, you just honor the office, honor the speech, and honor the people named in that. But that's a different conversation. But she also, uh, well, I'll just let you watch it. Do I have sound? is also defending religious liberty, and that includes the constitutional right to pray in public schools. Watch her. In America, we don't punish prayer. We don't tear down crosses. We don't ban symbols of faith. We don't muzzle preachers and pastors. In America, we celebrate faith. We cherish religion. We lift our voices in prayer. And we raise our sights to the glory of God. Did you catch it? We raise our voices in prayer. The shock in that? What happened? What happened in all these years? Was the founders of this nation, the U.S., felt that they needed to establish a place where people had the freedom to express their faith to God and have that protected? What happened when leaders approached the president and asked for a day of humility, a day of fasting and prayer? What happened when, on live television, the whole nation watches one of its key leaders, the Speaker of the House, shocked that the president would say, we raise our voice in prayer. What happened? What happened to Canada when we've taken prayer out of our schools? What happened? Did you notice that when he talked about religious freedom, the camera pulled back and above him, it said, in God we trust? It's there. It's inscribed right in the Congress. Every meeting they sit, they can't miss it. Every dollar the American spends, in God we trust. What happened to us? Don't be so shocked. It's not just national. You and I do the same thing. We come in here, we lift our voice in prayer, we lift our voice in worship, we put our hands up, we raise our flags, we do all that we do, we get excited, we say our amens, and then we turn out of here, we walk away, and then we live our lives as though there is no God. Yeah, okay, maybe not all the time. But in some so- certain decisions, we live as though there is no God. We live as though there is no boundary. We live as though there is no rule. We have our freedoms. You know, there's our charter of rights and freedoms in the church. The Christian rights and freedoms. It was established in the garden when God put the tree of knowledge and the tree of life. Eat whatever you want, but don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because the day you eat of it, you will die. There's a law. There's a boundary. But when Adam and Eve approached that tree, and she took of it, and she ate, and offered it to her husband, and he ate, sin entered humanity, and God never changed the law, neither did he ever change the freedom. He never took away humanity's freedom to make a choice, to make a mistake, 
the sin. He never took that away. He never took that away from you and me. He's never taken it away today in the church. You still have the right to sin, the sin of your choice. (laughs) You know, you have that right. You can pick and choose whatever sin you want. It's embedded in our charter of rights in creation. We call it the freedom to choose or or the, the free will, the gift of free will. We will never take that away from you as a church. We will never preach in such a way that you feel that you are so bound legalistically that there are some things that you just can't do and be part of this community. Yeah, we will work with you and walk with you and encourage you to step away from certain actions and behaviors and mindsets. But ultimately, it's you that has to work it out. Ultimately, God does the same thing with nations. So, in the midst of all of this, there was this American who had been in Turkey for 12 years. A pastor, a missionary. He had been leading a church in Turkey. And then right after the attempted coup against Erdogan, a couple of years back, a few years back, he found himself in jail, in a Turkish jail cell. Accused of being a spy of the U.S. against Turkey. Why? Because politically, there's another leader that is exiled in the U.S. that Erdogan wants to bring back to Turkey and kill him, punish him, jail him, whatever, silence him. These two used to be partners in politics, but they parted ways. So now he's living in the U.S. in exile, away from Turkey. So now they've arrested Andrew Brunson. And if we can have sound again, please. The first years that we were there, we really uh, developed a love for the place. Over the years, there were a number of threats, uh, death threats or threats against the church or threats to bomb or things like that. What I did not expect was that the Turkish government would put me in prison. After they released Noreen, they they held me. Uh, There's supposed to be freedom of religion there. Uh, But all of the evidence that they gave uh, to accuse me of terrorism or the various crimes was actually my religious activity, my church activity. I was uh, very broken in prison. uh, And I was in solitary confinement for 50 days uh, in a detention center. That was very difficult. Then when they put me in prison, uh, high security prison, I was uh, in a cell built for eight people, but there were over 20 of us. So it was uh, very intense conditions. I lost 50 pounds in the first few months. I was suicidal at times, and uh, it was very difficult for me. Religious freedom, uh, I think in the United States, uh, we take for granted to a large degree because this is what we're used to. Throughout history, it's been very rare to have uh, genuine religious freedom. And even in the world today, uh, most places don't. That's very important. Um, And it can be lost very easily because it's a cultural value. And... 
culture is passed down, it's learned, it's not innate. And so if we don't pass those down, if we don't emphasize it, then within a generation you can lose it. If you have religious freedom, many other things, many other freedoms fall into place. It just, it seems like the most basic fundamental thing to be able to, uh, to have freedom of thought and, and freedom of belief is so very basic. And where you don't have that, you usually see that the other freedoms are, are also curtailed. This interview was uh, done by the State Department, and they put this video up on their uh, YouTube page in eight different languages. Years ago, a philosopher said these words on political engagement, Plato. He said, one of the penalties for refusing to participate in politics is that you end up being governed by your inferiors. Human rights, religious freedom specifically, are being attacked today in all parts of the world. And I was very specific in using the word all. Even here in Canada, even in the United States, even in Europe, even in nations that had been historically Christians. The attack is not by individuals, even though it comes through the use of individuals in positions of power or positions of influence. But it's an attack that is from the pit of hell, working against Christ and his body to silence the message of Christ in this generation. Do you understand what I mean by that? Let me just repeat that, maybe in different words. There is an assault that is coming against the message of the gospel everywhere in the world. It's a battle that we face every day that has been there from the beginning of time since the fall, even before the fall, there was a twisting of God's word to Adam when the conversation took place between the serpent and Eve. Did God say, no, you can't, you, you will not die. Eat of the tree of fruit, the fruit of the tree, you will not die. This assault continues to this day, and it's everywhere. At times, it raises its head higher than others. Right now, we're at a point where the, the battle is strongest. And there's scripture that helps us understand that. In Philippians, sorry, in Second uh, Timothy, we read these words. But mark this. There will be ter terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, even within the church, in other words, but denying its power, having nothing to have nothing to do with such people.
We live in a very interesting time. We have been chosen by God to be born at this time. It's not by accident. It's not by fluke. You have been placed on this earth at this time with a mission. Last week, I asked you two questions. I said, are you willing to get politically engaged? Are you willing to step into that place where if you don't, you're going to be ruled by people that have a lower standard than you, inferior to you in terms of the standard? I thank God that there's a move right now within the church to awaken to our calling to the political arena. And I mentioned that there are some among you here that have been called to step into a political engagement, whether it to be involved in working in government, to be involved in running for politics. I don't know what the call is, but there's some things that are in my spirit that I feel here some of you are going to be engaged in. Some of us are going to be engaged in. With that said, I feel also that the challenge is on us as to how we personally live. How much do we allow the freedom that we have enjoyed in our charter of freedoms by God given in the garden to to give us license to do things that we shouldn't be doing as holy men and women? Last week, Salpi approached me after the service and she said that she felt something during the communion that was very much in line with what I was preaching afterwards. You haven't run out of the room yet, so I think I can call you. Come up here. Come up here. You want to take a couple of minutes? A couple of minutes, yeah, I'll make it quick. So while we had communion last week, and as Rob was praying for the cup, for the blood of Jesus, and um, praying and thanking the Lord for what the blood of Jesus has provided for us, I heard the Lord say, um, repent and be careful of socialism in your life and in the church. So when I started just talking with the Lord, uh, what I understood was that there is, um, if, if in a democratic, well, first of all, he was inviting me, he was inviting us to get to know uh, the opportunities and the privileges that we have because of the blood of Jesus, that we wouldn't, without the, uh, without the Lord, we wouldn't have these opportunities. And I felt like he was um, kind of just focusing in on this about socialism, is that if in a, in a democracy, um, people don't recognize the government that's over them as being good and as having provided for them all the opportunities that they need for advancement, if they don't see that, if they don't recognize that in, a de- in democracy, we have opportunities that we, we can um, advance, we can go forward. If we, um, within what the government has provided, if we partner, if we take advantage, not use like in a bad way, but if we uh, take opportunity we can advance in an environment where the government has provided opportunities for us. So, um, so I felt like the first thing was that God was saying, I'm inviting you into coming to know what your government, the government of the kingdom of God, has provided for you. If we don't know what's been provided for us through the blood of Jesus, we're always going to be not knowing the fullness of what he has provided for us. We're not going to know our opportunity. So it was an invitation. Get to know fully what what your government has provided for you, godly government has provided for you. And once 
we get to know that this is a good government, an a government of opportunities. He said, the next thing you need to do is that you need to walk and you need to work hard. Because in, in the natural uh, government, the land provides opportunities, but we still have to work within the laws of the land to be able to t take advantage of what he has prov the government has provided for advancement. We can't just sit back and then it comes for us because then if we do that, we're going to start to become socialistic thinking. We're going to say, or socialism thinking, I'm not sure what the term is, but we're going to say, well, you know, these people have opportunity and I don't. These people were born into a rich family, I don't. These people automatically are better this, that, 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 and I don't. So we're going to say, well, you know what, we want equality for everybody and we're going to get rid of the good government, democracy that is provided for us. If we don't work, if we don't put in our part, if we don't recognize what's available and now work hard. And the Lord said a couple of things that has to do with working hard is that you have to know what your rights are and you have to obey. You have to obey. Working hard in the kingdom of God means a life of surrender, a life of yieldedness, a life of willingness, a life of obedience. So if we do these things, we are recognizing the government that is good over us and we're taking advantage of what he's, they've provided, God has provided for us, but we have to bring in our part. Otherwise, we're just going to sit back and say, well, this isn't working for me. My government isn't providing this for me. God isn't doing this for me. Well, how come this isn't working for me? It's working for this person, but not for me. But we have to put in our part in our obedience and in our willingness to diligently walk with the Lord in order to be able to advance in what our government has provided the ability for us to advance in. I hope that was... Yeah. So let me pull it all together. I talked to you about the United States and the declaration that the president made in 1863 to call for day prayer. I showed you the contrast of where the U.S. is today with the Speaker of the House shocked at the fact that the, or the words of the president saying that we lift up our voices in prayer. There's a contrast. I talked to you about a man who is an American who talks about religious freedom and how that is the foundation of all the other freedoms because that's the highest level of freedom that we can receive or be given and how taking that away affects all the other freedoms that we live in. And you have come from places where religious freedom has been stolen from you. Many of you have come from different places where religious freedom has been taken away. And you've experienced some of this stuff. Some of you have just only heard about it. What keeps an Andrew Bronson going after what he's been through? What keeps a man like him? What keeps a person like Ji Yoon that I showed you last week, the Korean from North Korea that had been... Uh, tortured, aborted, suffered, raped a number of times, used in human trafficking, and, and just kept on escaping from North Af uh, Korea and brought back. What keeps her, what keeps Andrew Bronson after all that suffering? I suggest to you that it's what we read in the Declaration, having known the history. Not only know the scripture, but know the history, which is experientially knowing, experiential relationship. What Salpi is talking about is exactly that. The Sadducees came to Jesus many, many years ago. And they talked to him about the same thing. And 
they confronted him and they wanted to know why and, and what's going on. And uh, when they came to him, they were asking him questions about this person who, who's lived and he's married and he dies. And this woman, rather, that she's lived, her husband dies, she marries another. She, he dies, she marries another. Whose wife will she be in heaven, in eternity? So he tells them these words. He tells them in Matthew 22, You are in error because you do not know the scripture or the power of God. Neither do you know the scripture, the Holy Scripture, nor the power of God. Neither do you have the history. You have not experienced it. Paul puts it a different way. He puts it in this way. In Philippians 2, Therefore God exalted him, him, Jesus, exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name. What is that name? His name was Jesus when he was born on earth. What's the name that the Lord gave him when he sat him at the right hand? That the, At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's his name. You may have known him as Savior. You may have known him as friend. You may have known him as healer. But this comes down to knowing him as Lord. This comes down to Pelosi knowing him as Lord. Trump knowing him as Lord. Justin Trudeau knowing him as Lord. Every one of us knowing him as Lord. Unless we know him as Lord. Listen, continue. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, knowing your rights and your privileges and living under the law, you can only access and tap into those rights and privileges within the kingdom of God if you live according to the laws of the kingdom of God. You have to have him as Lord in your life. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. If you're struggling with healing, if you're struggling with issues, if you're struggling with relationships, if you're struggling with finance, with anything, come to the Lord and submit to him as Lord. Come to him and just, just, you know, he said, they'll come to me saying, Lord, 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 but I'll turn to them and say, I never knew you. You haven't. I can't let you out of here today until you come to the place where you determine in your heart that you will submit to him as Lord, which means a shift in your lifestyle which means a shift in the priorities, in the activities, in the, in the things that you do in your spare time, in the things that you don't do in your spare time. It means a total shift of how you look and feel about yourself. There will be choices that you are so natural to you that you will have to say no to. Because we are called to holiness. Every week this has been over our heads, just like it says in the uh, Congress, in God we trust, this in Armenian says, holiness unto the Lord. It's hidden because none of you read Armenian except the Armenians. But it says you are a people that are called to be holy unto the Lord, separated from the rest of society, to be set apart for his goodwill to be lived out in you and through you. Will you choose to do that today? Will you choose to renew that today? I'm not calling you today fasting and uh, humiliation. Will you come and submit yourself to that? But there will be some choices that you will have to stop making. Some choices, you can't expect to see the glory of God with the choices that we are making today. Count on that. There are laws that we have to live by. Forgiveness is a key to a lot of healing that we are falling short on. 
Emotional forgiveness, spiritual forgiveness, physical forgiveness. Someone has wronged you, you must forgive him. It's difficult to forgive. Yes, of course it is. But he works it out in you. I can never forget what they've done to me. Absolutely not. But you can forgive. It's a choice. If it's a command, anything that's commanded, anything in the scripture that's commanded, you and I must have the ability to obey that command. Otherwise, God is an unrighteous God. Let me say that again. If God commands you to love your enemy, that means God knows you have been made with the ability to love your enemy. Otherwise, God asking you to do that is unreasonable and he's just a crazy, stupid God. But he's not. If he commands us to forgive our enemies, same way. If he commands us to live holy, same way. We can. It's not an impossibility. If he commands us to love, we can. Because, oh, but I don't feel it. Well, love isn't just a feeling. Love is a choice. It's not what she's saying about saying it's a second-hand emotion. It's a reality. It's a real experience of inside that you make a choice to express that, to will that. I will to love. So what am I saying in all of this? We are seeing... Did you hear about what happened in, in the parliament just last week? About news in our parliament in Canada? Any of you clue into that other than Alina? I know she's on top of this stuff. I know she is. She's tracking with Fatine and she gets it and she knows about it. Did you hear what happened? There was something that was being introduced, a recommendation that came to the, par, uh, to the uh, government to, ma- to license news media agencies. And to actually censor some of their messaging that could be false news. That's the first step to taking away the voice of media. Are you with me? Am I being an alarmist? Does government have the right? That's why the, the media is called the fifth estate. It has the right to speak freely and to say what it wants to say, true, false, or otherwise. But we get to control how we react to it. So they want to control social media. They want to be able to control Twitter and Facebook and some of these other things about what is being said on there. They're trying to put rules and recommendations. But then they're extending it to other news media, television and newspapers and so forth. So the the leader of the opposition, Andrew Shearer, stood up and and opposed that. And there was enough pushback that they said they're going to put that away for now. They're not going to do it. But the, the rights are eroding. Are you going to get engaged? Are you going to start getting politically engaged? Are you going to start finding out more about what the politics around you are? Are you going to start doing it from the place of hearing God's voice and obeying him to be able to do the things that in the midst of your busy lives, work, family, friends, etc., devote a little bit of your time to get engaged into the future of your city, your province, or your country? I know I'm asking a lot. Live holy, get engaged politically. But let's pray. Father, you have made us your children and you have given us a mandate to be changers of society. To be preachers of a kingdom that's not of this world. To pull the values of heaven 
into society, not by ruling it over society, but by serving society. You've given us examples of Joseph's and Daniel's and Abraham's and David's that have been transforming agents that have brought society to such a place of change that the goodness of your kingdom was made visible. We have seen you in the, throughout the history change the course of nations by touching the lives of individuals. So like fathers of nations, Abraham, Lincoln, or the fathers of confederation, when they made the declaration that you have a supreme place in their nation, we want to declare to you today, as we declared earlier, that not only do we believe in God the Father, we believe in God the Son, we believe in the Holy Spirit, but these beliefs affect our choices and how we live. So we declare to you today that you are Lord, that you are Master, that you are King over our lives. Where we have lived otherwise, we ask your forgiveness. We ask for your grace. And we ask for your mercy. And we thank you that you are quick to forgive. And we know that forgiveness goes deep into our spirit. And now we ask you to translate that into actions and mindsets and choices and words that as we move from here, we would partner with you in making that a reality in our experience. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now may God bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, make straight paths before you, and grant you his shalom, his peace. God bless you.